chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. I invite you to hear these words from John. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes before, a man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to the people of Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen it, and I testify that this is indeed the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the anointed, and brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon's son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This, friends, is the word of God for us, the people of God. What are you looking for? As you know, I love interactive, um, interactive services. So if you have an answer to that, feel free to let me know. What are you looking for? But rather, it just keeps falling. 
It keeps moving. It keeps asking us to get on board and to come along. The Holy Spirit moves through our lives and asks us to get uncomfortable, to be disrupted, to follow the call that's been placed on each of our lives. The call is just open and waiting, just as the gift of baptism is open to all. This week we find ourselves in the book of John, no longer in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're kind of in the same story again, but also kind of not. Scriptures are funny in this way, because sometimes we read the Gospel and we create one timeline, and then we realize each of the Gospels is actually a little different. While they tell the same story, they don't always tell it in the same way. We know that they're written by different people at slightly different times. John and Matthew didn't have the same author. While they're written by people who have been inspired and are being worked in by the Holy Spirit, they aren't always giving the same account of the same events. And that's not a bad thing, friends. It shouldn't scare us. If anything, it should inspire us. They're all telling the story. They're all telling us more about God and giving us different viewpoints. They give us different perspectives of the same moment. For John's gospel, the baptism of Christ has already happened. In fact, John doesn't even include the actual baptism moment. Instead, he includes the aftermath, which is arguably less exciting. We don't get the baptism, we just get people talking about it. John recounts the story of Christ's baptism to an audience. The scripture tells us that John the Baptist says, I watched the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. I watched it rest on Christ. I didn't know who he was, but he sent me to baptize with water. And while I may be baptizing with water, he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified, he is the Son of God. There's a couple differences in the baptism stories from between John and Matthew. And one of the big ones is that the Spirit of God falls from heaven like a dove. That doesn't happen in Matthew's story. We don't get that image comes from John. And John tells us that while he baptizes with water, it's Christ who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then he tells us that guy is the Son of God. Immediately after the baptism of Christ in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually goes out into the wilderness to be tested. But in John's Gospel, we sit in this mundane moment for a while, in the after. We hear that after baptizing Christ, John the Baptist is standing around with two of his disciples, and he's just telling them about it. With excitement, he testifies that he has seen the Son of God, that the anointed is upon them. And Jesus, coming back, hearing this, turns and asks them, what are you looking for? And these friends are the first words that Christ speaks in the Gospel of John. The first
first thing he says, the first moment we hear his voice in God's, in John's gospel, is after Christ's baptism. After hearing the testimony, Christ asks, what are you looking for? They return. They also ask a question, which is, where are you staying? happens a lot in the Bible, if you haven't noticed. People always answer questions with questions, and it's very frustrating. It's also a really great strategy if you're a pastor, because you never have to give an answer. <laughs> Technically, the word that the disciples used to ask Jesus, where he's staying, translates literally to the word abide. They aren't asking Jesus where he's staying, they ask him, where are you abiding? Jesus tells them, come and see. And so they go. What I love about this passage out of John is this continuation of the baptism story and what it tells us about baptism itself. And that is that we're not merely invited into Christ at the moment of baptism, while that is a good and sacred moment. All of the after moments are just as important too. Baptism is a beginning point of being invited to come and see where it is Christ is abiding in the world and in our lives. A few weeks ago, we celebrated what's known in the church as Epiphany. And that is the revelation that God is in the world by the Magi. A revelation which comes about by their going and seeing. A revelation where they experience God has taken on flesh. Coming and seeing is a necessity of being with Jesus, friends. In order to see, there's a need to answer the call that's placed upon us in the act of baptism. The baptism moment is one where we might experience Christ, perhaps for the first time, but the truth is it's only the beginning of answering the call to come to abide with, to see. That is one that is offered to us, I think, on a daily basis. The problem with Christ is that to encounter him is transformative. And so the question becomes not just what have you seen or what are you looking for, but what are you going to do because of it? When you've seen Jesus, when you've seen the gift of him, there is change And it's because of that change that John offers his testimony to others. It's a small detail I think we sometimes overlook, but it's incredibly important. John sees the baptism of Christ. He sees the Spirit of God falling upon people, descending like a dove. And John chooses to bear witness to it. He goes out and tells people of the goodness of God that he has seen. He proclaims the good news of Christ. He proclaims that God is present, that the Messiah is real. John gives his testimony. What often comes as a part of the seeing and the abiding is this deep desire to tell folks around you, to let them know who Jesus is so they can 
baptism isn't a one and done, it's an invitation in to see. An invitation to dwell with Jesus. And when you've done that, you just want to tell people. I mean, right? I assume some of you have experienced that. Maybe not. John says he comes so that Jesus can be revealed. John knows his role is not to be the Savior, but to point people towards the Savior. He takes it seriously. He gives his testimony as to what he has seen because it's changed him. The call of discipleship, friends, is not just about encountering Christ, but it's about the testimony. There's an importance to telling the ways our story has deeply changed and is deeply intertwined with God's story in the world. And this is the part where I have to admit that I kind of struggle. The concept of giving a testimony is one that sometimes makes me myself uncomfortable. I think it makes a lot of us uncomfortable. Testimony and witness used to be vital parts of what we call Methodist worship. The United Methodist Church as a whole in its history was, was active and alive. It was one where people would worship for hours and they would be spirit-filled and they would give testimonies after testimonies. Old school Methodist worship was known for being a little wild. And I wouldn't necessarily call us that anymore. <laughs> it was normal for someone to stand up and yell out how they have seen God without hesitation and how that happened. There's a lot of reasons why we don't do that anymore. Church has become shorter. It's more rigid and structured. We live in a world where standing up and just sharing what you feel is less socially acceptable. One of the main reasons, I think, is because stories, testimonies are deeply personal. And we live in a world where we're less and less connected to other people around us. Where vulnerability is scary. God has a tendency to show up in vulnerable moments in different places in our lives, in our hardest pain. Oftentimes, that's where God moves. And it makes a testimony difficult to share because it often means sharing the worst things that have happened to us with people who we might never know. Testimonies sometimes, too, in church, at least in my experience of them, feel almost like a competition. I don't know if anyone else grew up in church where it felt this way, but it felt like you wanted to have the most depressing, difficult story possible so that you could have the most impressive testimony there is. I grew up in a community um, where I was Methodist, but a lot of people around me were Pentecostal or Southern Baptist or fundamentalist traditions, and there was this group that would travel around and my high school. To be honest, I'm not sure how this is legally allowed, but it happened. Um, they were called Faith Force, and they were a like powerlifting group for Jesus. <laughs> um, and they would come into school, and they would do really cool things like rip giant phone books in half, and like karate chop boards, and Oh, man. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have a visual? Okay, yeah. 
tank tops. Everyone knows where we're going. <laughs> and they would do this, and it was a promotional to come to their event, which was at a local mega church that used to be like an airport hangar. <laughs> Everyone knows what, exactly what I'm talking about. And so we would go. I would go as a teenager. And I went not because I was actually interested in their proclamation of the word, but because it was the cool thing to do socially. Everyone went, including the kids who didn't go to church every week, the kids who had crushes on, the fundamentalist kids, everyone went. This was the social thing to do from like Monday night to Wednesday night of that week. And so I would go, and I remember going and I would watch, and the first night the testimony would be kind of white. And they'd have an altar call, and some people would go to the altar. And then the next night, they'd do their cool trick, and then the testimony would happen and be slightly more intense. And then they'd have an altar call, and then somebody would rip even more phone books. It just intensified every night until you got to Thursday night. And I remember sitting and watching this, and this man was giving a testimony that was quite literally one of the worst stories I have